if all the dominoes need to fall in place to make it work right, all the dominoes got kicked over by some dog walking into the room this week because they just scattered. I'm picking up dominoes everywhere, trying to set them back up so we can figure it out. And so that stung, right? I think I ended up kind of kicking and screaming a little bit and the seller ended up like paying me $250 a lot. And so it ended up being like six grand maybe. <laughs> Obviously yeah. a lot less than $60,000 that Way I different. expected to make. You are now listening to the Real Estate Heavyweights Podcast. You see this guy here staring back at you? That's your toughest opponent. Every time you get into the ring, that's who you're going against. I believe that in boxing and I do believe that in life. Your weekly deep dive into DFW real estate, life, and beyond. With your hosts, Tavis Westbrook and Ashton Hines. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Ashton Hines, uh, half of the real estate heavyweights. And uh, I'm here with my good friend, Tavis Westbrook. We're in DFW. It's a beautiful morning. How are you doing, Tavis? Good morning, Vietnam. I always want to do oh, that. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I'm yeah, think, last, I, I think last, we're da- I'm dating myself with that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> doing well. Bit. I know where you're coming from, though. That's all right. <laughs> I don't think we have a lot of millennials listening to us, so probably everyone that might even be listening to us probably knows what you're talking about. All right. Yeah, yeah. last time we recorded the Real Estate Heavyweights University, I said, "Good morning, Tavis," and he said, "Oh, that was a good opening." I was like, "He could get about <laughs> three words out." So we got started earlier on the coffee this morning. Went for a walk around the so. went, went for yeah. a walk around the uh, the block. So <laughs> no man, it's a it's. I love this time of year. I love this weather. Um, I was actually thinking yesterday. I was like, man, football season's almost over. I I, I feel like I haven't really even gotten to enjoy it because I always say that this is my favorite time of the year. The weather, love football on TV, love you know Thanksgiving and Christmas and all those sorts of things. And like, man, we're we're rapidly, you know, closing in on all those and then it's going to be on the other side and I'll be looking forward to next year. So I'm trying to sort of enjoy it a little bit and slow down a little bit. So, um, we're the real estate heavyweights and, uh, I actually have a, a license to do physical therapy. I do home health. I'm a physical therapist assistant. I don't want to get in trouble there, but I do home health, physical therapy. I also have a license for realty and I'm a realtor. I have a listing right now. And I also, about a couple years ago, decided to start investing. And so I'm working on flip number four. Flip number four happens to be a house in Casa Linda on Mapleton. And you will see it all over my social media. And we'll talk about it here. I happened to buy that house from one Tavis Westbrook. He wholesaled that to me. And uh, in the process, he's taken a huge vested interest in making sure that thing goes well. And uh, Tavis has flipped over 200 houses. He has commercial. He's got long-term, mid-term rentals. He's got it a lot working. So that's where we're coming from. And uh, we come here a couple times a week to try to help you figure out the real estate industry, the news, the market updates. And we do a lot of deep dives into specifically investing and flipping. And uh, I hope you get value from that. So if you haven't yet, subscribe, send it to a friend, give us some comments, tell us what you'd like to hear about. You know, hey, I hate that section. I love that section. You know, that all matters to us right now. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely take it to heart. So uh, this is not, this isn't uh, some chemistry set that you can go buy off the shelf and mix here, mix there, and it works out. Like we're trying to, uh, we're trying to figure it out on the fly, you know. So um, anyway, give us a little update on how your products are going, Tavis. I know you've had a little bit of movement on one of your midterms this week. Things are things are well. Um, you know, our our leads are down a little bit. Um, acquisitions are still struggling. We still need to buy some more stuff before the end of the year. 
we did uh, successfully um, do the uh, the Wiley project we talked about, I think, last week and got it under contract and uh, we're pending. So we should be closing that, I think, the Monday after Thanksgiving. So um, all all is good and on that side of that deal. Uh, but trying to get some more, obviously. So um, if you guys out there listening are looking to push some deals or you have some situations, whether it's uh, friends, family, network, et cetera, that are looking for, you know, exploring options um, and selling the property as is and, and think that it might be a fit for an investor, um, I'm happy to go take a look at it. So, um, but uh, midterm front, we're actually vacant uh, right now on two of them. So I doubt if I'll ink anything before Thanksgiving, but you never know. Uh, you know, my, my wife's boss last night told us that uh, his master bedroom flooded, um, you know, out in uh, South Lake. So things happen, you know, and um, a lot of times it is water related, um, you know, and when that happens, people have got to get out. So anything could happen. You got to be ready uh, on my end. Um you know, one of mine, uh, I had a lot of settlement cracks. I did a video this week. If any of you guys saw that, it, it, we've talked about it before with plumbing saturation under the home, home dries out and there, it was left with a lot of sheetrock cracks. Anyways, they came in and, uh, I was able to, uh, shoehorn my guys in this week to do all of the, uh, texture and drywall repairs and then get the painter in there yesterday. So that's, that's wrapped up. And, um, so I was happy mm -hmm. to be able to do that after these last tenants moved out but, uh, like I said, um, it doesn't make money when it's vacant. Yeah, I think later in the show, we're actually going to get uh, into the different types of rentals, short-term, long-term, mid-term, and a little bit of commercial. So if you're interested in that, as far as an investment goes, and you're curious as to you know what the differences are, stick around towards the end, our last segment, that we do a little bit more of a deep dive. That's what we're talking about. So, you know, as far as me, this week has been crazy. You know, if all the dominoes need to fall in place to make it work right... All the dominoes got kicked over by some dog walking into the room this week because they just scattered. I'm picking up dominoes everywhere, trying to set them back up so we can figure it out. Because last week, the flooring guy ran long. Then that meant the texture guy couldn't get there. The texture guy, it was a bigger job than he realized, which meant the paint guy couldn't get there. Now paint guy's going to a big job. Like It's like falling apart. But it is what it is. You know, uh, investing, you know, we've had this property a year, uh, by the time we're done, it'll probably be 13 months or something. There's no income. This is not a rental. There's, it's all going out. <laughs> and every time someone calls or you call them, it, it means money. And so it takes a certain attitude and temperament to finally figure out how to calm down within that. Yep. I feel like I've gotten a little bit better with that in this last few months. I mean, my heart goes, I mean, I, 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 I'm in the weeds with you at this point, trying to get this thing done. So I completely yeah. understand, you know, the stress and obviously I've been yeah. through it a few more times than you, but, um, it's, uh, it, it's almost comical, right? I mean, it, like you mentioned the domino effect and it's so true. I mean, really we, we can place exactly where it got out of whack, right? I mean, the floor guy missed it by yeah. a day last week, mm -hmm. one day late and that screwed everything up. Such a kick in the gut, but yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. It's actually the better plan because it'll be done right and it won't be rushed and it won't be, you know, it, it won't be chaos next week with Thanksgiving. You know, you just be like, you know what? It sucks. Yeah. But I mean, get a breathing yeah. room. 
get the texture guy back in there, let him have at it. Sounds like he's on board. We talked last night. He's going to do his part right. And that, that's yeah. probably the worst thing, right? That, that's probably one of your biggest mistakes over there is, you yeah. know, who you hired to do that work and, and trusted them and they did a, a terrible job. And yeah, texture was the bane of my existence over at Polk. I swore I would never do it that way again. And then it turns out <laughs> I did it that way. Again. I mean, I, I, I was lied to in my defense. I was lied oh, to. Absolutely. No, you were, do it. He, and then he, yeah, they pulled the, you know, he, he, yeah. So, but it is what it is. You know, you, you live and you learn, you try not to, uh, you try not to use Cheetos and tequila as a counselor and you just move on. <laughs> you try to go for a jog, you try to get a little sunshine and uh yeah you, you live and learn so all right why don't we go ahead and uh move on we got a few minutes here let's talk a bit about a market update and then we'll get into our news so tavis i know you've been looking at the report from chicago title and the, the local market so give us a, a brief little update on how our market's doing here in dfw uh one thing i did pull up and we get this uh every time we open up the local mls and it's always interesting to see and i think we've kind of been in a position where um, you know, price decreases were matching up with about uh, with the new listings, like neck and neck. And uh, this week, I opened it up, and I'm looking at it. This is a seven day view, and um, we've got 2,532 new properties that listed uh, in our market. And um, let's see, 483 back on market. That typically means it went through inspection, something happened, and went back on market. And then price decreases is the big aha to me um, that people are just really struggling to price property correctly. And um, we see 3,208 properties that have had price decreases in the last seven days. So, you know, what that means is, I mean, people are pricing too high and then they're chasing the market. So I think it's very important. Ashton and I talked about your particular property this morning and just taking a bigger bird's eye view on it we've talked about this before on the podcast but um trying to really get an idea of what the buyer's feel is and what's been going on in the activity in the last 90 days and and a lot more than just the subdivision because we're trying to think like a buyer and a buyer is not specifically stuck in one subdivision when they're looking for property if you're a buyer you have to think bigger than that especially in a place like casa linda that it's not really driving factors um, other than overall location. You know, there's not like great public schools and things like that over there, right? Right. Yeah, you're probably going private. Yeah, exactly. And so, so really, it's kind of a bigger thing. Like, I mean, the guy that reached out to us last night said, you know, hey, Mapleton hits all the boxes. You know, they want to be by White Rock Lake, right? That's broad. I mean, White Rock Lake yeah. is in east dallas and there's a huge surrounding area around it um that uh that defines that area right but then when you when you change up your price point you know then obviously that's going to change um so i looked at stuff you know just to kind of get an idea of people looking under half a million dollars over 1500 square feet what are you getting you know and uh take that approach to it so what what did you see what was your big takeaway from um what you saw come up from chicago title yeah, I mean, the overall sentiment is that it's still slightly a seller's market. And a lot of stuff is still selling 97, 98% of asking. There are some reductions across the board, 
Um, but people are getting decent numbers in a decent amount of time. And I think, you know, we talked about this last week. If a house is presented well, it's clean, it's ready to sell, you know, all the all those things are done properly, you're going to have a really, really good chance. Of course, you're going to have these outliers that sit on the market a long period of time. And on the MLS too, especially in a slower market, a lot of the builders will put their houses on the market. And that skews it some I've found where you'll have a, a builder, they'll have a model on there for 150 mm-hmm. days or, you know, it, it sort of skews some of those numbers. So, but overall, you know, uh, down the list of all the different sub areas they look at, it said it's either a strong seller's market or a slight seller's market still. So that that gives the sellers somewhat of an advantage. If you're out buying out there, there's just not as much inventory to look at. And so if you're if you have a specific area that you like and you find a house that you like, you're probably going to have to come with a decent offer. That's not this, uh, hey, just throw a number out. I'm sure they'll take it. It's not that type of market. But it's been like that for a while. And I think hopefully slower, you know, slowly, slowly people are becoming more aware of that. And I think whenever we transition to news here in a second, you know, that it will be interesting to see how the next year plays out from a market standpoint and as a realtor standpoint. Are you ready to go ahead and dive into the news and we can talk about uh, some of the stuff that's been happening in our career in the national news? Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? From Dallas, Texas, the Flash, apparently official. There's good news and bad news. This is a massive story. Who wouldn't publish it? We landed on the moon! Man, I've got certain information, all right? Certain things have come to light. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. All right, so we have mentioned it here before, but the the National Association of Realtors, along with several big brokerages, including Keller Williams. Tavis and I both work with Keller Williams out of Dallas. But some large, large brokerages across the United States have been named in some class action lawsuits, multiple class action lawsuits, but a very, very large one, Sitzer, uh, was actually adjudicated a couple weeks ago. And despite all of the predictions from the real estate industry that thought this was a very flimsy argument, uh, the jury found for the plaintiffs, and they basically said that the the um, market is rigged for the brokerages and that realtors have worked to inflate their commissions and that the overall system is at a disadvantage to the, uh, the buyers and sellers and that the overall cost to do real estate transactions is uh, artificially inflated. And so we don't really know exactly the fallout from this because, you know, all the parties interested have basically said, we're going to appeal, you know, we're going to do everything we can to overturn this. It's a multi-billion dollar settlement. Uh, There's thousands of plaintiffs, you know, no one person is going to probably, other than an attorney's office, is going to get that wealthy on this. But it really could alter how we do business. And basically, uh, the, the gist of it, it boils down to this. Uh, but until now, when you sign, you go to sell a house, typically you're as a seller, you're paying for the seller's agent commission and the buyer's agent commission. And how it's worded in that contract is, is you're covering both sides. This lawsuit is working towards making it to where if you're selling a house, you pay for the seller agent. If you're buying a house, you buy, you pay for your own buyer's agent out of your pocket. So, um, Tavis, I know you have a broker friend that came in and y'all had some long conversations about this. What are, what are your takes now that it's come down and, uh, it looks like it's moving in this direction? What are your takes, um, on how it might change the industry? Yeah. So I think, you know, there's going to be some changes, right? I, I don't, 
you know, these things happen and definitely disrupts the market as we know it. We talked about this before when we first brought up this article that, you know, um, you know, 20 years ago plus or whenever it was the buyer's agents didn't exist. And basically every, everyone worked for the seller and obviously those things changed and what we've adapted in today. Um, you know, and, and what we're talking about high level is, is specifically residential real estate and how residential real estate, um, is, is situated. And the reason national association of realtors is in this is because they control the MLS real estate agent professionals have controlled the data and the data comes from the MLS and it comes from the agents and and transactions. And so NAR national association of realtors that controls these MLS boards has controlled that data and the data has become valuable. And there's, there's a push to change that, uh, angle, right. To where the data, um, it is becomes more public or maybe a company like Zillow buys it or whatever. And that definitely changes things up, right? It makes it a lot more difficult for the agent because it's not just a service of data anymore of, of like it used to be, you know, agents, for instance, uh, before the internet has blown up to what it is today, somebody wants to go look for a house. Where do they go? Right, maybe in the newspaper, etc. But really, they hired an agent to go. What's available? What's what's for sale? Now anybody can go on the internet and see through all of these websites what's for sale. So now with the apps and all the different technology, they can pull up and see what inventory is. And so that data has has changed, right? And now it, it, now sales data is one of those things that's harder to get, but you can get pretty close with the technology that's out there. So. And the one thing that the agents do is obviously we bring knowledge, we bring expertise, we bring negotiating skills, we bring all of these different things. It's it's a bad similarity in the sense that we don't practice law, so I want to disclose that. But I always kind of bring up the client relationship with an with the with an attorney, right? You can find all the stuff you want on the internet about law, right? But if you represent yourself you know, versus having an attorney with the experience that specializes in a specific uh, point of law, what's going to be your, your chances of winning in a lawsuit versus hiring an attorney that specializes in that, right? So I think real estate is very similar to that. You can represent yourself, you can get all the data and all the information you want, but if you don't practice it every day and have experience and have pitfalls and the ups and downs and and the know-how when it comes to negotiating and really diving deep into the transaction, you know, you're not going to be able to do it on yourself. So saving, you know, money on the front end of, of commissions on a, you know, $400,000 deal might save you 12 grand, but it may cost you 30,000 or $40,000 in negotiating skills right off the bat, not to mention whatever you, you miss on, on the deal or what you're buying. Right. So anyways, my theory is, it's going to change the way negotiating is done on the contracts when representation is there. And I, I do, I do want to say this. I think a buyer's agent actually works harder than the listing agent. They spend a lot more time with the buyers. They spend a lot time, a lot more time, you know, going through, um, properties, negotiating, you know, different properties. I mean, back a couple of years ago, I mean, the buyer's agents were working the butt off. Nobody wanted to represent a buyer because you might write 10 offers before you got one. Um, mm-hmm. and the listing side, 
you know, if you know what you're doing on the listing side, you, you structure the deal, you put it together, you might have to visit the property two, three times max, and you put it out on the market, right? And then you represent the seller once you once you get a buyer. All that being said, it's kind of like looking at the, the transaction of the deal, the, the benefit in the past has been that, at least in, in our market, uh, when we list the property, we, we state what we're willing to pay that buyer's agent. So the buyer's agent knows ahead of time kind of what their commission is going to be. It's not really talked about once it's negotiated in the contract. It's basically, you know, it's already assumed that they're going to make whatever the MLS advertised. Okay. Um, one thing that it will change is, you know, a lot of people get away now not having a buyer's rep buyer rep agreements signed that does predetermine how much commission they're going to make and the and the buyer would sign that um a lot of times people don't do that because of the way that our structure is now but that will change i believe and then the other piece to it is actually the seller and the seller's agent everybody looking at the deal as a total package um very similar to the way the commercial um contracts work so commercial contracts work typically start with a letter of intent and uh, short name is LOI, but it starts with that. And it's basically a proposal of saying, hey, this is my buyer. This is what they're willing to pay for this property. Here's the terms of this. Here's the terms of that. And then, by the way, there's a commission structure in here that I want to get paid for representing my buyer, bringing my buyer into this deal. And therefore, you're going to agree to pay me 4% for instance, okay, in a commercial deal. Um, and when you get that letter of intent representing the seller, then you look at it and break it down and talk to your client and say, okay, where are we going to negotiate? And if you decide that, hey, you don't want to pay 4%, then fine, you can counter that, right? And that changes those net numbers to the seller. That's not something that happens right now very often in the residential side of things, but I, I could see things shifting that way and it changing on the on the commercial on, on the residential side to being uh, more designed that way to kind of follow the way that the commercial side of contracts work. Okay. Um, I was telling you offline before, quick story, 2005, I'm a year in the business. I represent a buyer, it's $2 million deal, commercial property. I'm direct with the bank. Well, I represent my buyer, but I'm direct with the seller. And the seller had um, people that worked for them specifically instead of like having a a broker. Uh, the broker was not involved, but it was like the real estate professionals that were hired by, you know, that worked for the company specifically. And we structured this deal, put it all together, get in the 11th hour of this thing. I mean, this went on for probably 60 days at least of negotiations get it all dialed in, ready to go, get the contract inked. And there's no commission structure in there for me, you know? And I'm like, Hmm, that's kind of odd for my mindset. And previously in my years, you know, my one and a half years of experience or whatever it was with traditional real estate, I just expected they were going to pay me 3%, you know, but the property wasn't actually publicly listed. Um, and it wasn't, uh, there was no way, there was no advertisement ahead of time tell, telling me they were going to pay me 3%. Even though in my mind, I expected I'm bringing a buyer to the deal. We're negotiating this deal. They're going to pay me 3%. And I learned a very valuable lesson at that time that I did not prepare myself and 
prepare the buyer to add $60,000 in commission into the deal. Now, if I would have done that up front, the numbers would have made sense, but it was a lot harder in the 11th hour to go back to my buyer and say, hey, by the way, you need to increase your sales price to $60,000 to cover my commissions because I screwed up and didn't have it in the original offer price. And so that stung, right? I think I ended up kind of kicking and screaming a little bit and the seller ended up like paying me $250 a lot. And so it ended up being like six grand, maybe <laughs> obviously yeah. a lot less than $60,000 that Way I different. expected to make. Um, so, yeah. you know, it, it was a very valuable lesson. And, and so in the back of my mind, I've always had that like, Hey, you know, commissions are negotiable. Um, but you know, if you're, if you're not in that space, you, you don't think that way. And so, it's going to change. It's going to change. Um, we don't know which yeah. way it's going to go. I don't think it's going to kill the industry as we know it. It's just going to change things up, right? That's my opinion. Yeah. I, we don't really know what's going to, you know, they're going to appeal. I honestly think that uh, there's a decent chance that the seller's agent, when you have a listing, you're just going to have a little bit more control over what's coming in and out. And if people, you know, there's going to be buyers out there, uh, there's going to be sellers who don't want to pay the commission because it's uh, this is national news now. People are seeing it all over the place. And I think you're going to have some people who, you know, put their foot down and say, we're not doing that. We don't have to. I've seen it in the news. And so if that starts happening more and more, the buyers that are coming around are not going to be as represented. And I think that the selling agent actually will control maybe both sides of it. And they'll control a little bit more of the flow coming in and out, which I know is a little bit more of the commercial view too. So we'll see how it looks and we'll, we'll definitely keep you updated on that as we, as we see changes out on the street right now, it's just on paper and on the national news, but the more and more publicity it gets, the more it will become a reality for those that are buying and selling out there. Well, why don't we get into a little bit of a real estate deep dive? Let's go! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to tonight's main event. Let's do this. Hey, can I have everybody's attention, please? Let's go! Let's go, bruh! So I have a long-term rental out in Sweetwater. Uh, I purchased that from one Tavis Westbrook. And... Um, he has a midterm rental. My uh, sister and her husband have a short-term rental in Austin, and uh, Tavis has a commercial building. So, you know, we have some personal experience with all these versions. So let's just do a brief rundown. We've got about four or five minutes here. Let's let's go, just do a brief rundown. If you're looking at investing in real estate, um, let's talk about the different uh, pros and cons of maybe a few of those. You know, I know from the perspective, you know, probably your, your highest upside is your short-term rentals. If you're in a really good area, you know, I have a buddy that um, he has a bunch up in the Smoky Mountains. I think he's got eight units up there. That is a defined short-term rental vacation area. If you think about Florida, Broken Bow, Orlando, stuff like that, that is a, you know, people go there for vacation. If you can find a cabin yep. or a house there, destination type stuff. The nice, the pros about that are the cities have probably already decided that this is okay. You, you go into uh, a Frisco, a Plano, something like that, and you do a, an Airbnb in the middle of town. A lot of those towns are starting to come up with rules that are making it more difficult there. They're either going to start taxing it. They're going to make it more difficult. But if you're in an area that is already determined that this is a destination, a vacation type spot, you're probably not going to have to deal with that. The upside, if you have a really good rental, it's probably really, really good. 
The problem is you have a lot of competition and you have to do a great job and you have to run it more like a hotel. You have a lot of turnover. You're, you're, you're worried a lot about reviews and Yelp and all, all sorts of stuff on Airbnb. And I know, you know, from my sister, you know, it can be a real pain to deal with someone in the middle of the night. That's not happy that they found a hair in the sink when they showed up and, uh, the fridge smells weird, stuff like that. I mean, it's, you're dealing with a lot of that. Um, Tavis, what are, what are some of the, uh, pros and cons of maybe a midterm rental versus a, a short term rental? Uh, so the midterm versus the short term is obviously less turnover, right? I mean, uh, short term typically is going to be, you know, weekends primarily, um, you know, you can do a two night minimum, three night minimum situation, but basically you're, you're having to turn that property over, um, you know, but as soon as those people move out. So two, three days, the other issue with mm-hmm. Short term is in order to um, benefit the the best on on that structure is that you need to have your calendar filled, and so what happens with that is um, you have you know situations where you have uh, somebody that books it from like a Friday to a Sunday, and they're um, they're leaving on Sunday at eleven a.m. and then you've got somebody else booked to come in at three p.m. Uh, that same Sunday. So if something's destroyed, something's not ready, your cleaning crew gets sick, you know, any of that goes on. I mean, you just don't have a lot of safety net uh, to make sure that that property is ready to go for the next tenant. Um, so I, I think that, um, you know, that that's kind of been my take on it. That's kind of kept me away from doing that. Obviously, um, you know, one of the biggest issues that you're seeing in these cities is people, you know, booking these things for parties. And there's been a lot of issues that have come along with that, right? From big, big raging parties that happen. Um, you know, how you can protect that a little bit is do a minimum two days or three days in, in the booking. Uh, but you have people that will do that um, and pay the money because they've got such a big party and still only show up like on a Saturday night. You know, and they may have booked it for the whole weekend, but they're going to throw a rager on Saturday night and then cops get called and neighbors are upset and, you know, shootings have happened and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Interesting fact about, I believe it's, um, Airbnb, one of them has a a software built into their platform now that they actually can predict, uh, buyers, uh, renters. And so there's some tools that as, as someone who is offering it up, they will say like, this is a suspicious listing. I think they're starting to, they can look at social media, they can look at different, you know, trends or whatever and say, I, I would, I would ask more questions about this. So that, that's yeah. at least an interesting thing there. So on the midterm side though, um, you know, you're typically 30 days or more, you're dealing with more of a higher end client, typically a lot of times executives either coming in from out of town or you're dealing with an insurance situation. Um, you know, you're still, you're still having to pay the furniture to furnish the property, like a short term, they're always furnished mm-hmm. midterms you're furnished. So on the front end, you're buying the house, you're having to furnish it and you're, you know, you're having to provide a lot of the living things, but you don't have nearly as much turnover and your net number. If you still stay rented, your net numbers can still be really, really good. I think, right. Yeah, I I think, um, you know, as far as the upfront cost goes, just kind of comparing it, because I I haven't done any of the short term. I've only, when we jumped into the space, we went into the midterm, the 30-day plus stuff, even before the regulations were were there. Um, And I will say that I think our cost is higher um, of uh, furnishings and um, 
stocking the property, if you will, because we're trying to create a temporary living situation, not a weekend alternative to a hotel. Right. And so right. when you do a short term, the mindset is, hey, we're going to stay there. We just need some place to sleep. You know, maybe you've got some other amenities, but a lot of times that that person staying for the weekend may or may not be doing a lot of cooking, may not be doing a lot of uh, entertaining in that property. It may just be, you know, a hub. Right. Um, that's why right, in those destination right. areas, it's it's a place to stay. Now, they might decide like, hey, we're going to cook breakfast and lunch or something, but we're going to go out to eat for dinner. In in my situation, we're creating this living experience where people are going to have to live in it um, and, you know, operate their daily activities for, you know, on, on average, people stay in my places uh, about 90 days, it seems like. So they might book it for 60, but they end up extending it to 90. And so they, they're, yeah, they're, they're completely living their, their lifestyle in our property. Yeah. Yeah, we stayed uh, this last weekend. We went to Indianapolis and we stayed in a short term rental. And it was very much a you're going to be here a couple hours a day. And that's kind of what we're banking on. It was like yep. super low quality <laughs> towels, very, I mean, it was like the tiniest little uh, soaps you've ever seen. So, I mean, but it served its purpose and it was, it was relatively inexpensive and we could walk to Lucas Oil Stadium. And so it was great. So, well, I know we're running short on time. You're about to get kicked out because you share a studio with your wife and she's about to be on a work <laughs> call. Um, so, uh, long-term rentals, you know, th those can be great. That's kind of your traditional rentals. I've got one over there in Sweetwater. Um, the typical number that people like is the 1% rule. So if you're all in, let's say at $80,000 on a property, can you rent it for $800 a month over there, Abilene, Sweetwater, some of those places, you know, some of your outliers, uh, that's possible over in Plano. You're going to buy a house for $400,000. You might be able to rent it for 2,200 as a long-term rental, but you're not having to furnish it. Uh, it's just more of your, Hey, you're going to be here a year, two years, three years. You know, you're, you're dealing with a lot of your toilets and your roofs and that sort of thing, but there's not a lot of turnover other than that. And so it's kind of a, it's, it's sort of like, what are you built for? Do you want to have the upside, but you're willing to deal with more of the day in and day out, you know, complaints and do more of the social media? You got to keep that property up tip top shape. Or do you want to kind of set it and forget it and hope they kind of forget that you're the landlord and they just live there and send you checks? You know, that's the long-term way. You're not going to get rich overnight for sure, but you're riding that equity increase. They're paying down your mortgage. You can still, you know, front load the depreciation and, you know, get some tax benefits. So, you know, a lot of people, that's what they want. They want to stack those those doors where they're getting 50, 100, $300 a month, just net, just putting a little bit aside, a little bit aside and they're grinding it out and they like it that way. Um, because they're not having to deal with the turnover and, and acting like a hotel. Um, so there's definitely some, some perks to that. Uh, but it is a long game. That is a, that is a, is a slow way to get rich, but a lot of people have done it for a long time. And if you can just be okay with being boring, you can do really, really well with long-term rentals. Yeah, I would agree, Ashton. I think that uh, just to wrap this up, I, I think it's very difficult right now to make cash flow numbers work and the long-term game. And uh, uh, people like myself that have had 12-month um, term rentals, you know, long-term rentals, um, uh, my very first house I ever bought in uh, 2001, we still own it today. So obviously, you know, if you've got properties that you've owned a long time like that, they, they, they do really well because it's a long, it's a long time game. 
you know, and uh, we're really happy that we have those in inventory and they, you know, they cash flow and they have lots of equity and all of that good stuff. Um, but as far as, you know, people acquiring properties today, uh, that model is getting very difficult to uh, to make heads or tails of it. And interest rates are so high. So it still can be done. And there's still money to be made when interest rates eventually go back down. Prices are going to go up through the roof again. So, you know, again, uh, accumulating wealth through uh, long-term holds is is really where it's at And when you talk real estate. Yeah. So. As far as investments go, typically long-term, they say that the best time to buy it is yesterday. The second best time to buy it is today because in general, people, the, the, the market has moved upwards. You can rent. There's a lot of tax benefits. And so, you know, jump in there, find a market that works for you. And uh, if you have any questions about investing in that type of rental, um, please reach out. If you are interested in flipping and have questions, please reach out. If you have a house that you cannot uh, imagine being on the MLS because there's foundation problems, there's there's paint problems, there's whatever, you don't want to fix this up. Um, you know, please, those are the types of houses that uh, Tavis and I are looking to flip. Tavis is looking to buy right now. So he could come out, give you a good number. If you're an agent and you have a client that you're having a hard time selling something or they just don't want to do all the the work to get it ready for the MLS, please give Tavis a call. We're looking for another flip to uh, to get interested in, go do film, talk about, you know, so we're always, always looking. So um, Tavis, give them a quick uh, update. I know uh, they can find you on Instagram. A lot of people follow you on Facebook. Tavis Westbrook, you did a live last night. That's where we got our potential buyer. Um, so go find Tavis. It's a Travis without the R, Tavis Westbrook. He's got Travis Westbrook designs. You can Google him, find all sorts of stuff about him. Me, I'm Ashton Hines. I'm the Dallas real estate guy. So come find me on Instagram, Twitter, and all that sort of thing. And if you have any questions, you want to reach out, please do that. Please like and subscribe, share this with someone, and we would love you forever for it. We'll talk to you next time. See ya.